Hello and welcome to another episode of Space Update. I'm Ryan. Joining me today is... I'm Mika. And coming up today, we've got news updates. We're going to be talking Rocket Lab and we're going to run through some NASA news. Okay, news updates first. Uh, we've had SpaceX successfully launch another GPS-3 satellite for the military, along with another routine landing. Seems SpaceX have solved that Merlin engine issue now, plain sailing hopefully from here on in. Got more dates for chip testing, 9th the 11th of this month in November. No hop just yet, um, but as we record this, I believe there's uh, a test in pendant, so stay tuned for that. More updates on that. Enrol 101 from ULA has been delayed due to bad weather, which also actually hit the nice test stand where the SLS booster is, um, so hopefully everything's okay over there. As I said earlier on, we're going to be talking Rocket Lab. They're actually looking to partially recover the booster, or at least test the chute on their next launch, apparently. And last bit of news, Chinese rocket firm Galactic Energy has successfully tested their first orbital launch rocket and they've actually secured funding. It's called Ceres-1, that one, if you want to do a bit of research on that yourself. It's a little four-stage solid rocket and we've got some news coming up later at the end of the show about Crew-1 and more news on NASA. So today we're going to talk Rocket Lab. Uh, rocket Lab, uh, we're going to go up Wind back a little bit for those that don't know too much about Rocket Lab. Uh, Rocket Lab is a private American aerospace and small satellite launch service provider. They're wholly owned in New Zealand. Um, Rocket Lab currently operates lightweight orbital rocket known as Electron, which provides dedicated launch for small sats and CubeSats. Uh, the company was founded in New Zealand way back in 2006 by engineer Peter Beck and established the headquarters in California over in the United States in 2013. Uh, the very first launch of Electron was back in 2017 on the 25th of May, so they haven't actually been in operation for too long really, considering they've had about uh, 15 launches so far. But too unsuccessful, that very first one on the 25th of May had to be aborted. Telemetry went a bit pear-shaped on that one and we had to destroy the rocket mid-flight. And obviously that uh, unlucky number 13 launch, uh, that one went wrong due to a, what they call a hot battery swap on the second stage. Uh, the second stage essentially just lost complete power and fell back to, back to Earth and burnt up in the atmosphere. That was quite unfortunate. <laughs> but regarding Rocket Lab, they actually had to make all the rules in New Zealand. They had to make a space agency before they could actually start the company. So that was probably quite a challenge. Kind of, in a sense, echoes what the UK is going through at the moment as well. Rocket Lab, their launch site's actually on a private island that's owned by a bank investor. I forget the guy's name now, but it's actually a private island that Rocket Lab's launch facility is actually built on, which is quite interesting as well. <laughs> well, at least they can ask from Rocket Lab what they had to do or the government of New Zealand. So should be a bit easier for another country. Yeah, yeah. So we need Miko as a private island in Finland. We'll get a bit of money together and we'll start our own. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, basically they could do some polar launches here, but they would go over Norway or Russia. So I'm not sure if that would be a good idea, though. Yeah, it might not be quite legal, that may it. 
um, Rocket Lab themselves have got three launch sites in total, um, almost three anyway. Uh, the main ones in that uh, launch site were in New Zealand on that private island. The second one just recently is actually now at NASA Wallops and the third one is near completion. It's uh, the second pad at their uh, main headquarters in New Zealand. Unlike Elon and many others, Peter Beck has his sights set on Venus. Um, it's quite interesting. Um, a lot of guys are focusing very much on the moon and Mars and every, everywhere else, but uh, since Peter Beck was focusing his sights in the opposite direction, more inward towards the sun by the looks of it, which is quite interesting, especially uh, some recent discoveries on Venus with the phosphine and everything. Yeah, that's great to see him wanting, wanting to go to check out Venus and he was interested in it quite a long time before the phosphine studies came. Yeah, yeah, because he's, he's always quite interested in being going to Venus and he's always talked of it's actually possible, theoretically possible, that to land, soft land, a satellite of some sort in the atmosphere of Venus and because of the air pressure, it'll actually just float in the uh, lower atmosphere and just due to the actual uh, air pressure and everything on, on Venus, which is quite bizarre when you think about it, but it's actually possible. Yeah, it's possible the air pressure would be around half a bar to one bar while temperature could be around 30-35 Celsius, so that would be livable. Yeah, yeah. I mean, landing on the surface, as we know, is out of the question because quite a few years ago, the Russians actually succeeded on landing on the surface, but um, that uh, little land only lasted a matter of days and that was built like a tank and it uh, got absolutely obliterated on the surface of Venus, but managed to get a bit of data and everything, but uh, very much doubt we'll be stepping foot on there anytime soon. Yeah, I doubt it. Uh, NASA has some uh, studies to create a lander that would be completely mechanical, so there would be no electronics, but I think that's far away even if it's possible. A little steampunk satellite with lots of cogs and wheels going on. <laughs> yeah. Well, that would be quite interesting, wouldn't it? So, uh, just to bounce back a little bit, uh, the electron rocket's actually a lot smaller than what you people realise. The rocket itself, it's only 1.2 metres wide by 18 metres in height. It's actually a lot smaller than uh, what, what you think when you compare it to the likes of the Falcon 9 that we see launch literally every week. Uh, that's a good 70 to 72 metres high. So it's absolutely... The Falcon 9's... A giant compared to Electron. Never mind Starship and everything else, that's a whole different size entirely again. The Electron, it can launch around uh, 300 to 350 kilograms of uh, weight now due to uh, advancements in battery technology. And that's the unique thing about this rocket. As battery technology advances, the Electron rocket itself will get better and better over time. Yeah, that's a great advantage. You don't have to do anything but uh, be on the lookout for new battery technologies and improvements. Yeah, yeah. And I think the most revolutionary thing that Rocket Lab has just very recently done, literally on their previous launch, was um, the deployment of fo that photon, um, First Light, it's called, the uh, the little uh, satellite bus for uh, science technologies. So it's the this uh, photon, it's like a ki mini kick stage that's on top of the uh, the second stage. And it's, it's essentially a little powerhouse for all the science experiments. So all the guys that do all the, want to do the experiments, 
so they can just concentrate on the science. They don't have to worry about the solar power, how it's going to be powered, how, got, how they're going to get it there, the propulsion, everything else, the electronics. All they have to do is worry about the scientific side of it, plug it into Photon and just do the science because Photon's designed to do all that for them. And Rocket Lab are just trying to simplify that and offer a, essentially becoming a satellite company as well as a, a launch provider, which is quite interesting. Yeah, a full package deal. Customer can, they can just go to Rocket Lab and I want this in space. And I think it wouldn't be too expensive to do that. I mean, it's quite unique, really. Um, I know we've got uh, SpaceX doing their own Starlinks and everything like that, but I think SpaceX could quite easily do something similar, I think. But uh, it's just one of those unique things I think Rocket Lab has just absolutely jumped on. And it's a bit of a game changer, really. I don't think everyone's quite caught wind of how much it will change the game for uh, satellite companies, as they can just concentrate on producing the scientific experiments themselves and not worry about the propulsion, the power and everything else which is quite good yeah definitely i think they got a little jump start before spacex actually is going to do the same so i think they will gain quite a few customers before spacex can actually deliver some kind of uh, same kind of package yeah, definitely. Maybe we might see it on Starship as it's a, a much heavier lift vehicle of sorts. Maybe they could build something into that. We never know because opportunities for that are just endless with Starship, really. But most recently, we've uh, Rocket Lab just announced that they're going to land the next, well, the 16th launch of their Electron rocket, um, land it in the sea, testing out the parachute system prior to catching the next one. And this next launch, aptly named uh, Return to Sender, which is quite uh, quirky, I thought. Um, it's actually going to be launching around the 15th to the 16th of November. Um, just in literally a few days' time, really. That's literally be like a day after Crew 1 if they fly on schedule. And actually, NASA released some news about collaboration opportunities and NASA will be partnering up with Rocket Lab uh, for the booster recovery so they can monitor much more data. That's interesting. I mean, NASA isn't just about America. I mean, some people see the SLS as an American rocket, but when you do a lot of deep dive into it, which we'll probably do eventually on SLS, you'll find that there's the UK, there's Europe, there's Italy, there's Germany, just there's so many countries involved with SLS. I mean, NASA itself, it's an American company at the end of the day, but they reach them far and wide, aren't they really? There's uh, pretty got Electron in New Zealand. Before long, I'm sure they'll get involved with some of the UK companies. We've already got uh, Lockheed Martin getting involved with uh, some of the launch sites up in uh, Scotland here in the UK. That's really good idea. And uh, did you see the new video the Rocket Lab uh, released? I think it was yesterday. Yeah, yeah, it was just a new uh, promo video of uh, the company and what they're aiming to do and everything. It was a bit bizarre that the phrase they used at the end, I was a bit curious about that. Um, it can remind me what, what it was, Mako, a bit of a mind blank here. It was something about resilient space. That's it, yeah. Uh, resilient space, yeah. It, it said welcome welcome to resilient space at the very end of the video it was a bit of a i don't know if it was a statement or whether it was just a very bizarre hint at something else it was almost as if they were saying welcome to resilient space kind of thing like as if it was a separate company do you know what i mean yeah it was a little weird <laughs> but the interesting thing about um 
promo video was that they said that they would be ready 24-7 and every day of the year, so they would actually uh, launch rockets very fast, maybe within a few weeks of notice. Definitely. I mean, that's um, it echoes similarities to what Elon wants to, wants to do, isn't it? To launch whenever, on any day kind of thing. But uh, we'll, we'll see that with all the weather problems and everything else. That's a, just a, another factor, isn't it, really? So, But uh, it's really promising that they'll be able to provide that capability of just launching within reason whenever the client wants. Yeah. All right, let's jump on to some NASA news now. Um, but before we do that, um, on next week's episode uh, coming up, um, we've got one of the guys from Skyrora here in the UK up in Scotland on the episode next week. So uh, keep tuned for that on the next next episode. Uh, we'll be talking everything Skyrora and EcoScene and Green Fuels and every, all the launch providers in here in the UK. So, Miko, let's uh, talk NASA. Uh, we've had a lot of news lately. Uh, just recently, within the past day or so, literally, uh, we've got the announcement of Jim Bernstein retiring and leaving NASA, potentially a new role in NASA. Yeah, with the change in presidency, also the NASA administration is going to change. I've grown quite fond of Jim Bridenstine. He's been able to get people excited with his speeches. He's also been able to push a lot of progress with several missions. And another side of him that I like is his ability to handle Congress meetings and such. So he can really speak well to his audience, for example. In Congress meetings, he rarely mentions company names like SpaceX. Usually there's some Boeing presentative or ULA presentative also, so he's good talker there. But with the right audience, for example, Mars Society Convention, he can just become another space nut. Talking about Starship and such. <laughs> definitely, definitely. Um, maybe we'll get him on the show one day. I never know. <laughs> That would be fun. Yeah, yeah. Like you, you said, Miko, he's been fan, absolutely fantastic in terms of raising the bar at the end of the day for NASA. Because I feel if you look back to the early days of SpaceX and everything, it was very quiet and everything else. And when Jim came along in those years, it's just absolutely boosted the, in general, the media presence and the general presence of NASA across the world. And just creating that buzz again in general about space and everything else, really. For me, when, when we saw the, the likes of SpaceX doing all these amazing things, for me, it was if NASA don't get involved with SpaceX, could have potentially wiped out NASA. I personally think but uh that's my personal point of view anyway it's a bit of a crazy one but uh jim's actual statement was that uh you need somebody who has a close relationship with the president um somebody trusted by the administration by all these national space council national security council and everyone involved and everything so and he even even said if president joe biden actually comes to him and asks for him to stay he won't he literally won't so i, I don't quite understand that reasoning behind that but there you go. It seems like he's got his mind made up. Yeah, it kind of seems like that. Well, that's unfortunate, but well, let's hope a new admin will be just as good or better. Yeah, yeah. As I mentioned earlier on, um, just a bit of a sidetrack here, um, there was a bit of a storm damage at the 
from the Stenosphere Centre where the SLS core booster stage is being tested currently about to do the that full static fire test if you like um, there's a big tropical storm came in and actually damaged part of the building so before they crack on with all that testing they're having to check the building make sure everything's okay before they crack on with the long static fire test that'll be quite impressive I think that's all five engines roaring for literally I think it was nine to ten minutes I might be wrong on that Something like that. I had eight minutes in my mind, but something like that and definitely will be something I will be watching. Yeah, yeah. And we've recently had some more news on the uh, Crew 1 as well, haven't we, Mako? Yeah. Uh, so Crew 1 is supposed to launch this Saturday on the 14th of November or actually uh, early Sunday hours for us Europeans. Crew 1 launch readiness review is currently underway. And static fire is on Tuesday, and if everything goes well and the weather allows, the launch will be on Saturday. Yeah, yeah, the weather permitting, obviously. Yeah, we've had a little bit of bad weather in the area, but fingers crossed for that launch. It'd be fantastic to see another crew go up there. This time, four people instead of the two. Uh, Bob and Doug previously, obviously, and um, this time the four astronauts. So it'd be interesting to see that just slightly different configuration in the uh, in the Crew Dragon with the uh, the two guys, essentially the two guys flying the spacecraft and the two passengers. Although it's all partially autonomous anyway. Yeah, actually mostly autonomous. Uh, and the crew is Mike Hopkins, Victor Glover, then there's the JAXA astronaut Soichi Noguchi, and then there was uh, another NASA astronaut. Sharon Walker. The crew seems to be very excited to go and they actually seem to enjoy each other's company a lot. But when when I've been watching the crew press conferences, they seem to be having quite a bit of fun there. I think ISS is going to get a bit crowded with seven people. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it is obviously big enough. Uh, we've seen large teams up there previously in the handovers, because obviously uh, once the new crew go up there, they've got to do the, the handover for, I don't know if it takes a day or a few hours, I don't know. But um, we used to see in, in the past when there was shuttle programs going up and down there, it was quite a large crew up there at times. I think there has probably been over seven people on the station at the same time, but most of those people have been sleeping on the shuttle. And actually on the crew conference today, they were mentioning that there is actually uh, places for only six people on the station. So seventh people who would be the commander Mike Hopkins, he won't have uh, that private place for himself. Also, it would be interesting to see once that uh, Crew 1 module comes back, how many boats will be surrounding that one. <laughs> <laughs> I think they will do a better job because they've announced that there there will be, a, I think it was a 10-mile radius that Coast Guard will guard that there won't be any ships going there. Bizarrely, um, when we were waiting for the crew, that DM2 demo mission to come back, everyone was, obviously there was weather issues at that time, um, a lot of storms in the area, and everyone was speculating because when, the, when these uh, capsules come back down, they have several la- potential landing sites. And it was a bit of a guessing game at one point, and I just Twitter asked NASA, where's it landing? And NASA Johnson said, this is where it's landing, Ryan. And then I went on the on the likes of watching Tim Dodd and the news and everyone like that, and we're like, oh, we don't know where it's landing. We don't know where it's landing. Da, 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 da. So NASA Johnson had just told me before everyone else that where it was frigging landing. 
So it's a bit, a bit of a weird one. It's just one of those things. I mean, I'd try it yourself, guys. I just if you use the hashtag Ask NASA on Twitter and just ask a question. Quite often they do get back to you. Um, because I've asked questions to Curiosity Rover because that has its own page and everything. Uh, I think Perseverance Rovers even talked back to me. I know it's someone at the other end at NASA, obviously, but and they like to talk to Bruno and everyone else. Just fire their questions over. You'd be surprised if they'll come back to you with sometimes a paragraph of information. It's quite interesting. Yeah, I could have tried that sometime. Now that we're actually a podcast, some of us could actually try to call some news conference and get a question there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and as always, guys, to everyone listening listening in, you can always uh, fire over your questions via the Anchor, Anchor app. Uh, anchor.fm slash total space slash message. If, uh, if you don't want to do that, you can always fire myself or any of the other guys on the team uh, questions over on Twitter we're quite active over on there so any questions just fire them over and include them in one of the episodes whatever questions you have we'll do our best to answer them yeah and we also answer to YouTube comments and well anywhere on social media yeah we're getting around you know <laughs> okay I think we'll, uh, we'll wrap it up there Miko um, thanks for everyone listening today I've been Ryan from the Space Update and I've been Mikko, the host of Deep Dive Fridays. Thanks for joining us and catch you next week.